St. Francisco Marto and the Sacred Heart. This conference was given by Suzanne Pearson at the 2019 Army of Advocates Conference in Seattle, Washington, hosted by the Fatima Center. O Sacred Heart of Jesus, we place our trust in Thee. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. I thank Kevin Diaz for selecting this topic for my presentation. Getting to know Francisco has been a fresh experience for me, even though I've been following Fatima since age seven. I first identified with Jacinta. I was seven years old, and she was seven years old when Our Lady had appeared. And her sacrificial fervor and the insight she received from Our Lady amazed me. Soon, most interest centered around Sister Lucy, the only Fatima seer to reach adulthood. Called to remain a little while longer on earth, to make the Immaculate Heart of Mary known and loved, she lived to see resistance and fierce controversy swirl around Our Lady's clear requests for the consecration of Russia and the release of the third part of the secret. Now, finally, my task is to focus on Francisco, the first of the three young visionaries to complete the mission entrusted to them by Our Lady. I will take Francisco and Jacinta soon, she promised. Francisco Marto died a saintly death on April 4, 1919, only a year and a half after the apparitions and only ten and a half years after his birth on June 11, 1908, and his baptism on the following June 20th. He was the eighth child and youngest boy in the family of Manuel and Olympia Marto. His little sister Jacinta was born on March 11, 1910. To visualize Francisco's life, we must leave the troubled world of today, the demands of technology, the juggling of competing commitments, worries about the dangerous state of the world, scandals in the church, and even the concerns that dominate discussion at most Fatima conferences, and travel back a hundred years to a world we can hardly imagine today. The Marto family lived in the little village of Aljustro, a cluster of about 20 houses, which together with a group of similar villages made up the local parish. The inhabitants led a simple peasant life close to the soil in the rhythm of nature. Their homes were close together, but during the day they spread out to work the fields and raise their livestock. Neighbors knew each other. Everyone was Catholic. Family life was strong. Each family member had a part to play in the economy of the household. Even small children were assigned tasks and responsibilities, like tending the family flocks. 
Little shepherds could wander over the fields with their sheep and be gone for hours, and no one had to worry about their safety. Although peasants had to work hard, they had houses, like this one belonging to the Marto family, and enough to live on. They interacted with nature, birds, animals, weather, trees, flowers, herbs, and crops. Life centered around the family, both the immediate family and the extended family. Marriage, new life, new families, sickness, death were all seen in the light of God and eternity. Jesus Christ, his mother Mary, St. Joseph, the angels, especially the guardian angels and St. Michael, were familiar figures to the adults and the children. Before the technological and scientific revolution, it was only natural to imagine things guided by heavenly hands. Sister Lucy writes how, as evening approached, she and her cousins watched for Our Lady and the angels to light their lamps. While Francisco would eagerly count the stars, nothing enchanted him as much as the beauty of sunrise or sunset. As long as he could still glimpse one last ray of the setting sun, he made no attempt to watch for the first lamp to be lit in the sky. No lamp is as beautiful as our Lord's, he would say to Jacinta, who much preferred Our Lady's lamp. Enchanted, he watched the sun rays glinting on the window panes of homes in neighboring villages or glistening in the drops of water which spangled the trees and bushes, making them shine like so many stars. In his eyes, these were a thousand times more beautiful than the angels' lamps. So writes Sister Lucy. Many in the rural, rural areas like Fatima were illiterate, but they were well instructed in their catechism. They did not question the truths of the Catholic faith or the guidance of church leaders. The local pastor was respected and obeyed. To doubt or question the Pope was unthinkable. The Catholic Church was the only church in the area. Think of all the things life in those days did not include. There was little worry worry about happenings elsewhere in the world, thanks to the rudimentary state of communications. The Great War, raging at that moment with all its horrors and atrocities, probably caught the attention of the locals only when it impacted someone in the village. Anti-Catholic newspapers could do little to diminish the people's faith, since so many peasants could not read. The disaster that an atheistic government had come to power in Catholic Portugal probably seemed remote to the villagers until the administrator of Urem put the three little Fatima seers in jail. Of the three children chosen by heaven to be visited by Our Lady, Lucia dos Santos and her cousins Francisco and Jacinta Marto, Francisco is perhaps the least well-known. There are, however, two facts about Francisco that people tend to remember. He could see Our Lady, but he could not hear what she said. And when Our Lady promised each of the children that they would go to heaven, she added in the case of Francisco, but he will have to say many rosaries. 
Did Our Lady mean to imply that Francisco was less deserving of her favors than the others? Not necessarily. She appeared to all three children at once, but each of them had a different experience. Francisco could see Our Lady, but not hear her. Jacinta could both see and hear her, but only Lucy would speak to her. Frere Michel of St. Trinity explains that this unexpected disparity, this gradation in the relations with Our Lady, is in itself a certain proof of authenticity. For never could anyone, neither the seers nor any imposter, have dreamed of making up this difference, which is baffling at first, but when we reflect on it, testifies decisively in favor of the sincerity of the three little seers, end quote. Each child had a unique mission. Lucy would make Our Lady's message known to the world. Jacinta would convert sinners and stop them from going to hell. Francisco would console Our Lord and Our Lady. In her fourth memoir, Sister Lucy describes Francisco, quote, Apart from his features and his practice of virtue, Francisco did not seem at all to be Jacinta's brother. Unlike her, he was neither capricious nor vivacious. On the contrary, he was quiet and submissive by nature. When we were at play and he won the game, if anyone made a point of denying him his rights as winner, he yielded without more ado and merely said, You think you won? That's all right. I don't mind. He showed no love for dancing, as Jacinta did. He much preferred playing the flute while others danced. In our games, he was quite lively, but few of us liked to play with him as he nearly always lost. I must confess, Lucy writes, that I myself did not always feel too kindly disposed toward him, as his naturally calm temperament exasperated my own excessive vivacity. Sometimes I caught him by the arm, made him sit down on the ground or on a stone, and told him to keep still. He obeyed me as if I had real authority over him. Afterwards, feeling sorry, I took him by the hand, and he would come along with me with as much good humor as if nothing had happened. If another child insisted on taking away something belonging to him, he said, let them have it, what do I care? My own opinion, she writes, is that had he lived to manhood, his greatest defect would have been his attitude of never mind. Francisco's attitude served him well when the three little seers were imprisoned in the jail of Urame. If they kill us, as they say, we'll soon be in heaven, he said to Lucy. How wonderful. Nothing else matters. Then, remembering Jacinta, whom he had been trying to cheer up when she felt homesick, and who was at that very moment being interrogated, he removed his cap and began to pray. What are you doing? asked the guard. I'm saying a Hail Mary so that Jacinta won't be afraid, he said. Frere Michel describes Francisco as gentle, humble, and patient, like his father. Always having a joyful countenance, he was invariably 
invariably polite and accommodating to all, even at the cost of considerable sacrifices. Nor could he bring himself to tell a lie, no matter what the cost. Francisco's dominating passion was music. He loved nature and the animals of the field. A special friend of the birds, he always saved some bread from his lunch, broke it into crumbs, and spread it on the rocks for them. Poor wee things, he would say, you are hungry, come and eat. Once, Lucy wrote, they met a little boy carrying a small bird he had caught. Francisco promised the little boy two coins if only he would let the bird fly away. The boy agreed, but first he wanted the money. Francisco ran all the way home a considerable distance to fetch the coins and free the little prisoner. As he watched the bird fly away, he clapped his hands for joy, saying, Be careful. Don't let yourself be caught again. Francisco was utterly devoted to his little sister Jacinta. He was as docile and agreeable as she was vivacious. All the neighborhood children wanted to play with Lucy, a natural leader who organized and directed their games. Jacinta was particularly drawn to Lucy and always wanted to be with her. Francisco went along to please Jacinta. This happy arrangement was cut short when Lucy turned seven and started tending her family's sheep. Jacinta and Francisco begged their parents to let them join her, but the answer was no. They were still too young. They continued to beg and beg. Francisco explained one time that it was Jacinta who most wanted this permission. It took a year of begging before they finally were allowed to shepherd their own family's flock and join Cousin Lucy in the fields. Soon after the three children were happily reunited, the angel appeared who would prepare them for the vision of Our Lady. It is fascinating to realize that the whole chapter concerning the angel was totally unknown to the villagers and later to the world until Sister Lucy, under obedience to her bishop, wrote her second memoir in 1937. The children had kept the angel's visits entirely secret, mostly because the experience had been so overwhelming that they could not describe it. Do not be afraid, the angel said. I am the angel of peace. Pray with me. Kneeling on the ground, he bowed down until his forehead touched the ground and made us repeat these words three times, Lucy writes. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I ask pardon of you for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. His words and example affected the children so deeply that they could spend long periods of time prostrate on the ground repeating this prayer over and over. A few months later, the angel appeared again. What are you doing? he asked. Pray, pray very much. 
the most holy hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy on you. Offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. How are we to make sacrifices? Lucy asked. Make of everything you can a sacrifice and offer it to God as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and in supplication for the conversion of sinners. You will thus draw down peace upon your country. I am its angel guardian, the angel of Portugal. Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. Francisco did not hear the words of the angel. He learned the angel's prayer from Lucy and Jacinta. After the second, after the second appearance of the angel, he asked Lucy, You spoke to the angel. What did he say? But the supernatural atmosphere in which the angel had left them was so dense that they couldn't talk about it. Francisco was told to ask again tomorrow. The next day he rushed up to Lucy. Did you sleep last night? I just kept thinking about what the angel might have said. Lucy then told him everything the angel had said in the first two apparitions. But it seemed that he didn't really understand. He kept asking more and more questions. Finally, Jacinta said, We shouldn't talk much about these things. I don't know how I feel. I can no longer talk or sing or play. I haven't strength enough for anything. Neither have I, replied Francisco. But what of it? The angel is more beautiful than all this. Let's think about him. The third time the angel appeared, they felt the supernatural presence even more intensely, so much so that even Francisco did not venture to speak. Later he said, I love seeing the angel, but the worst of it is that afterwards we are unable to do anything. I couldn't even walk. I don't know what was the matter with me. Yet, Lucy tells us, it was he who noticed it was getting dark and warned that we better take our flocks home. A few days later, Francisco asked Lucy, the angel gave you Holy Communion, but what was it that he gave to Jacinta and me? It was Holy Communion too, Jacinta responded with inexpressible joy. Didn't you see that it was the blood that fell from the host? Francisco responded, I felt that God was within me, but I didn't know how. Then he and Jacinta prostrated themselves on the ground and repeated over and over the prayer the angel had taught them on that third visit. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I offer you the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifference with which he himself is offended, and through the infinite merits of his most sacred heart and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg of you, 
the conversion of poor sinners. Offering the children, quote, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, horribly outraged by ungrateful men. The angel ended with words that would become the theme and purpose of Francisco's life. Make reparation for their crimes and console your God. Sister Lucy explains in her fourth memoir of 1941 how the appearances of Our Lady also plunged them into a supernatural atmosphere, but she did it more gently. Instead of, Lucy writes, instead of the annihilation in the divine presence, which exhausted us even physically after the visits of the angel, Our Lady left us filled with peace and expansive joy, which did not prevent us from speaking about what had happened. Francisco was overjoyed to learn that Our Lady had promised to take him to heaven. Oh, my dear Our Lady, he exclaimed, I'll say as many rosaries as you want. And from then on, he would often walk away from from them. Lucy writes, when we called him and asked him what he was doing, he would hold up his rosary. If we urged him to come play and say the rosary with us afterwards, he would reply, I'll pray then as well. Don't you remember that Our Lady said I must pray many rosaries? Although Francisco couldn't hear Our Lady and one Fatima devotee suggested that he might be a good patron for the deaf, I tend to think of him not as deprived, but just as given a different gift by Our Lady, a gift better suited to his own spirituality. Francisco added a new dimension to Our Lady's first apparition when she opened her hands and shed upon the children a very intense light. This light penetrated us to the heart, wrote Sister Lucy, and allowed us to see ourselves in God, who was that light, more clearly than we see ourselves in a mirror. Francisco said one day, I loved seeing the angel, but I loved still more seeing Our Lady. What I loved most of all was to see our Lord in that light from Our Lady which penetrated our hearts. I love God so much, but he is very sad because of so many sins. We must never commit any sins again. It seems that Francisco saw more than just the immensity of God or the bright light that is God, but actually the figure of Christ. He always talked about seeing our Lord and how sad he looked. Neither Lucy nor Jacinta spoke of the experience that way. Sister Lucy writes that on June 13th, the second apparition, Our Lady told her, I will never leave you. My immaculate heart will be your refuge and the way that will lead you to God. She then opened her hands and communicated to us for the second time the reflection of the immense light that enveloped her. We saw ourselves in it as if submerged in God. 
Jacinta and Francisco seemed to be on the side that was ascending to heaven, and I was on the side that was spreading over the earth. Before the palm of Our Lady's right hand was a heart with thorns piercing it. We understood that this was the Immaculate Heart of Mary, so offended by the sins of mankind, desiring reparation. End quote. We now know that on July 13th, when Our Lady opened her hands, the children saw a vision of hell, which terrified them. But what seemed to impress Francisco even more than hell, and what totally absorbed him, was God, the most holy trinity, perceived in that light which penetrated their inmost souls. Afterwards, he said, We were on fire in that light, which is God, and yet we were not burned. What is God? We could never put it into words. Yes, that is something indeed which we could never express. But what a pity it is that he is so sad. If only I could console him. After Our Lady appeared on September 13th, when Lucy told Francisco that in October Our Lord would come too, he was overwhelmed with joy. Oh, how good he is. I've only seen him twice, and I love him so much. This means the twice, when Our Lady opened her hands and enveloped them in light, Francisco saw Jesus Christ in his human ability to suffer, not just the spiritual reality of God. From then on, he would ask, are there many days left till the 13th? I'm longing for that day to come so that I can see our Lord again. Then somberly, he added, but will he still be so sad? I'm so sorry to see him sad like that. I offer him all the sacrifices I can think of. After the vision of October 13th, he told Lucy, I loved seeing our Lord, but I loved still more seeing him in that light where we were with him as well. It's not long now, and the Lord will take me up close to him, and then I can look on him forever. Francisco was a lover of solitude and prayer. Often he preferred to go apart from Lucy and Jacinta to kneel and pray, or as he said, think of our Lord, who is so sad on account of so many sins. Lucy asked him, Francisco, why don't you tell me to pray with you and Jacinta too? I prefer praying by myself, he answered, so that I can think and console our Lord, who is so sad. Asked whether he preferred to console our Lord or to convert sinners, he said, I would rather console our Lord. Didn't you notice how sad Our Lady was that last month when she said that people must not offend our Lord anymore, for he is already too much offended? One day, while the sheep were grazing and Lucy and Jacinta were jumping from rock to rock, Francisco withdrew to a hollow among the rocks. Lucy tells the story. After a long time, we heard him shouting and calling out to us and to Our Lady. Where are you, we called. Here, he answered. 
But it still took us some time before we found him trembling with fear, still on his knees, and so upset he was unable to stand. What's wrong? What happened to you? In a voice half choked with fright, he replied, It was one of those huge beasts that we saw in hell. He was right here, breathing out flames. Francisco had seen the devil, but ordinarily his advice was, Don't think about hell. Think about our Lord and Our Lady instead. As shy and retiring as he was, Francisco was quite an effective intercessor. When a woman from another town requested the healing of a sick person and the conversion of a sinner, Francisco promised to pray for her. Shortly after his death, this woman asked Lucy to show her his grave. She wanted to go there and thank him for obtaining the two graces for which she had asked him to pray. One day, when the children were just outside Aljustril, a large group of people came upon them by surprise. A poor woman and her son, not able to reach Lucy and Jacinta, knelt down in front of Francisco. They begged him to obtain from Our Lady the grace that the father of the family would be cured and that he would not have to go to war. Francisco knelt down and invited them to pray the rosary with him. Very soon, all the other people stopped asking curious questions, knelt down, and prayed the rosary too. Then, Lucy writes, they came with us to the Cova de Eria, reciting a rosary along the way. Once there, we said another rosary, and then they went away quite happy. The poor woman promised to return to thank Our Lady if her requests were granted. She came back several times, not only with her son, but with her husband, who had by then recovered. I will have more to share about Francisco, but since I intend to use these additional incidents to illustrate how his example can inspire us to greater love for the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I must now introduce devotion to the Sacred Heart. June is a month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, whose feast will be celebrated this week. Francisco's special mission in life and what he hoped to do for all eternity was to console our Lord. Before suggesting how we can imitate Francisco by loving and honoring the Sacred Heart of Jesus, I must give a little history of this devotion. At the Last Supper, Christ told his apostles, If you ask the Father anything in my name, he will give it to you. God the Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to be our Savior, and he wants us to approach his throne through Christ, the perfect mediator between God and man. This instruction is echoed in the admonition of St. Paul in his epistle to the Colossians, chapter 3. All whatsoever you do in word or in work, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. End quote. In those days, it was not yet revealed that we should go to the Father through the sacred heart of Jesus. But this doctrine was always latent in the teaching of the church. 
Kernels of the devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus can be found on Holy Thursday when the beloved disciple St. John rested his head on Jesus' breast during the Last Supper and felt the beating of his heart. Then, on Good Friday, when Longinus pierced the side of Christ with a lance after his death, from his sacred heart flowed blood and water, the two fountains of the sacramental life of the Church. Doctors of the Church have long seen in Christ's side wound the source of all graces. St. Bonaventure invites us to enter this wound and dwell in the quiet of this heart. St. John the Evangelist appeared to St. Gertrude in the 13th century and announced to her that the meaning of the blessed beating of the heart of Jesus, which he had heard while his head rested on his breast, was reserved for the latter times when the world, having grown old and cold to divine love, would need to have its fervor renewed by means of this mystery of burning love. By the time our Lord appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque in 1675 and specifically asked for devotion to his sacred heart, Protestantism and Jansenism had already done much to diminish people's trust in the infinite love of God for all people. In order to stop the spread of this heresy and to assure that the church's love for Christ her spouse would not diminish but keep growing, it was necessary to establish this new devotion in the worship of the church by instituting the feast of the Sacred Heart. Here is how our Lord made his request known. On June 16, 1675, during the octave preparing for the solemnity of Corpus Christi, while St. Margaret was close to the choir gate, our Lord appeared to her upon the altar. He said, Behold the heart which has so loved men that it has spared nothing, even to exhausting and consuming itself in order to testify its love, and in return, I receive from the greater part only ingratitude by their irreverence and sacrilege and by the coldness and contempt they have for me in this sacrament of love. But what I feel most keenly is that it is hearts which are consecrated to me that treat me thus. Therefore, I ask of you that the Friday after the octave of Corpus Christi, be set apart for a special feast to honor my heart by communicating on that day and making reparation to it by a solemn act in order to make amends for the indignities which it has received during the time it has been exposed on the altars. I promise you that my heart shall expand itself to shed in abundance the influence of its divine love upon those who shall thus honor it and cause it to be honored. End quote. In 1765, Pope Clement XIII approved this feast using a mass and office composed by St. John Eudes in 1670. And in 1856, yeah, Pope Pius IX, the 
extended the feast to the universal church. Pope Pius XI composed a new mass in office for this feast in 1929. Set to occur on the Friday following the octave of Corpus Christi, the solemnity of the Sacred Heart sums up all the phases of the life of Jesus, recalled in the liturgy from Advent through Corpus Christi. All the mysteries of his life, joyful, sorrowful, and glorious, reveal the infinite love of God for man and are symbolized by his sacred heart. In the preface of the Mass, we can see how the Church had developed the theology of the sacred heart of Jesus. The preface prays, quote, We give thanks unto thee, O holy Lord, Father almighty and everlasting God, who willed that thy only begotten Son should be pierced by the soldier's lance as he hung upon the cross, that from his open heart, as from a sanctuary of divine bounty, might be poured out upon us streams of mercy and grace, and that in his heart, always burning with love for us, the devout may find a haven of rest and the penitent a refuge of salvation, end quote. The post-communion gives us a beautiful prayer to nurture our devotion. May thy holy mysteries, O Lord Jesus, produce in us a divine fervor, whereby having tasted the sweetness of thy most dear heart, we may learn to despise earthly things and love those of heaven. Now we will connect these ideas with the spirituality of young Francisco, who wanted to spend his life and all eternity consoling our Lord. We know that sin offends God. How we are able to hurt God by our sins is a mystery, since God has all perfection within himself and cannot be harmed in any way. It is in his divine humanity that God can suffer as we understand. We can appreciate the concept of a broken heart. It is in his all-loving human heart that our Lord feels the abandonment, the indifference, the rejection, and the hatred that men heap upon him. God incarnate is still infinite in his holiness and his perfections, but in his divine humanity, he is also infinite in his capacity to suffer, as Father Malachi Martin said. So our desire to console our Lord most naturally takes the form of consoling the sacred heart of Jesus. What better time to consider how we might do this than during the month of June as we approach his feast? How can we console the sacred heart of Jesus? We get one idea from our Lord's own words to the apostles in the Garden of Olives. Could you not watch one hour with me? Just being with him, spending time with him, is consoling to our Lord. Francisco gives us his example. Once he climbed to the top of a steep rock and called out, Don't come up here. Let me stay here alone. At lunchtime, the others called to him, but he said, No, you eat. And and to pray the rosary? He said that, yes, later on. 
when they finally climbed up to the peak asking, What have you been doing all this time? He answered, I am thinking about God, who is so sad because of so many sins. If only I could give him joy. In the offertory of the Mass of the Sacred Heart, our Lord speaks through the psalmist. My heart has expected reproach and misery. I looked for one who would grieve together with me, but there was none, and for one who would comfort me, but I found none. Just being with someone in their suffering is comforting. One need not fix the problem or speak profound words. The best example is Our Lady, whose loving gaze strengthened her son as he struggled to climb Mount Calvary. After seeing him crucified, she stood silently under his cross, one with him in his agony. Frere Michel writes that Francisco was a meditative soul, the most contemplative of the three visionaries. When they would reach the pasture with their sheep, Francisco would go off by himself to pray and think about God. We, too, can console our Lord by meditating on his sufferings. Making the stations of the cross and reciting the prayers of St. Bridget are good ways to do this. To console our Lord, we must first obey Our Lady when she said, People must stop offending God, for he is already too much offended. We must savagely root out all traces of sin in our lives and encourage those around us to do the same. Remember what Francisco said after Our Lady's first apparition, I love God so much, but he is very sad because of so many sins. We must never commit any sins again. When he was near death and wanted to make a good confession, he asked Lucy and Jacinta to help him remember any sins he had committed. Jacinta reminded him that before Our Lady appeared, he had once stolen a small coin from his father to buy a music box, and that once he had joined some other boys in throwing stones. I have already confessed those, he said, but I'll confess them again. Maybe it's because of these sins that our Lord is so sad. Second, we should do the things our Lord especially requested. Since he specifically asked for a feast in honor of his sacred heart, we should attend that Mass and receive Holy Communion, offering it up in reparation for sins against him. Our Lord also gave, through St. Margaret Mary, 12 promises to those who would nurture a devotion to his sacred heart. Embedded within these promises are several additional requests. Quote, I will bless those homes in which an image of my heart is exposed and honored. From this request came the practice of enthronement of the sacred heart of Jesus, A statue or picture of the Sacred Heart is placed prominently in the home, where it becomes the focus of family devotion and receives the thoughts, prayers, and acts of love of all who pass by. This practice has been extended to schools, workplaces, and even to vehicles. 
A picture of the heart of Jesus encourages drivers to constantly entrust the safety of the car and all its passengers to the protection of his loving heart. The last of the 12 promises contains this important request. The all-powerful love of my heart will grant to all those who shall receive communion on the first Friday of nine consecutive months the grace of final repentance. They shall not die under my displeasure, nor without receiving their sacraments. My heart shall be their assured refuge at that last hour. Out of this request developed the, the devotion of the nine first Fridays, which consists in attending Holy Mass and receiving Holy Communion in reparation for those who do not receive our Lord, who do not love him, and who wound him by their sinful lives. Often, the Mass offered on First Fridays is a votive Mass of the Sacred Heart. But even if the priest celebrates a different Mass, we could still offer our own Holy Communion in reparation to his Sacred Heart. Another devotion suggested by our Lord to St. Margaret Mary, though not part of the Twelve Promises, is the Holy Hour of Reparation. Our Lord instructed her, You shall arise between eleven o'clock and midnight and remain prostrate with me for the space of an hour, and so appease the divine anger by imploring mercy for sinners. Thus shall you assuage in some way the bitterness I felt at the time because of the abandonment of my apostles, for not having been able to watch with me for the space of one hour. Sister Lucy was following this prescription of our Lord when she asked permission to spend a holy hour in adoration each Thursday night between 11 o'clock and midnight in the convent chapel. As she was prostrate before the tabernacle on the evening of June 25, 1929, she witnessed the Trinitarian vision and was told, Now is the moment when God asks the Holy Father to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We can imitate St. Margaret Mary and Sister Lucy by offering an hour of adoration at home or making a holy hour of reparation on First Friday as an act of love and a way of consoling the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We can make the sacrifice of rising during the night to make reparation for the many sins committed under cover of darkness. Our Lady indirectly gave us another idea about how to console the Sacred Heart of Jesus in her vision to Sister Lucy in the convent of Pontevedra. On December 10, 1925, the Most Holy Virgin appeared to Sister Lucy. By her side, elevated on a luminous cloud, was the child Jesus. As the Most Holy Virgin rested her hand on Sister Lucy's shoulder, she showed her a heart encircled by thorns which she was holding in her other hand. At the same time, the child said, Have compassion on the heart of your Most Holy Mother, covered with thorns, with, with which ungrateful men pierce it at every moment, and there is no one to make an act of reparation to remove them. Then the Most Holy Virgin said, Look, my daughter, at my heart, surrounded with thorns with which ungrateful men pierce me at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. You, at least, try to console me. 
end quote. And here Our Lady announced and explained the devotion of the five first Saturdays. If an act of reparation can remove a thorn from the pierced heart of Our Lady, an act of reparation can also remove a thorn from the crowned head of Our Lord. Uniting our devotion to the hearts of Jesus and Mary, we can deduce that Our Lady's instructions on how to console her Immaculate Heart would also apply to consoling the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It becomes ever more evident that the whole purpose of Fatima was to establish in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We often think of the Fatima secret as a series of warnings, hell, the even more terrible world war, the spread of errors from Russia, but Sister Lucy considered the secret to be about the Immaculate Heart of Mary, since the solution to all these problems is devotion to her. In the same way, we struggle to discern what further threats lurk in the third part of the secret. But whatever these might be, devotion to her Immaculate Heart is the antidote to these as well. On May 18, 1936, Sister Lucy wrote to her confessor, Father Gonsalves, Recently, I was speaking with our Lord and asked him why he would not convert Russia without the Pope doing that consecration. Jesus replied, because I want my whole church to recognize that consecration, that consecration as a triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, so that later on it will put devotion to the Immaculate Heart beside devotion to my Sacred Heart. If the ultimate purpose of Fatima is that the church place devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary alongside devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the foregone assumption is the existence of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. While at the time of the Fatima messages, this devotion was widespread and taken for granted, it has fallen off since Vatican II, like so much else in the church. It is essential to reawaken in all Catholics a vibrant love for the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and little Francisco can show us the way. Consoling both the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary can be summed up in two words, prayer and sacrifice. For the motive of making reparation to these holy hearts for all the sins and and offenses committed against them. Prayer. There are many prayers which honor the Sacred Heart of Jesus. After the revelation and propagation of this devotion, the familiar formula of addressing the Father through Jesus Christ was refined to say, Heavenly Father, through the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In the Pieta prayer book, we find this very beautiful prayer to the Father through the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Eternal Father, I offer you the Sacred Heart of Jesus with all its love, all its sufferings, and all its merits. First, to expiate all the sins I have committed this day and all through my life. Second, to purify the good I have done poorly this day and all through my life. Third, to supply the good I ought to have done but have neglected to do this day and all through my life. A poor Claire nun who had just died appeared to her abbess who was praying for her and told her, I went straight to heaven, for by reciting this prayer every evening, I paid all my debts. 
Another good example of going to the Father through Christ is the morning offering. There are various versions of this prayer, but many of them begin like this. O sacred heart of Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, I offer you all my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins and the sins of the whole world, etc. I always add, for all the intentions of the Immaculate Heart of Mary and for the triumph of her Immaculate Heart before naming my own intentions. Other powerful prayers honoring the Sacred Heart of Jesus are the Litany of the Sacred Heart, various novenas, and many indulgenced ejaculations. Ejaculations are a way of thinking of him often during the day and just for a minute lifting up our hearts to him in prayer. Finally, there is the consecration to the Sacred Heart. An act of consecration may be made in one's own words or by reciting any one of many published prayers. The well-known act of consecration composed by Pope Leo XIII in May 1899, along with other prayers I have mentioned, can be found on your handout. Sacrifice. The angel told the children, make a sacrifice of everything you can. In trying to do this ourselves, we can remember Christ's words to Sister Lucy in 1943. Quote, the sacrifice required of every person is the fulfillment of his duties in life and the observance of my law. This is the penance that I now seek and require. The angel also told the children, Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. From time to time, Francisco would say, Our Lady told us that we would have much to suffer, but I don't mind. I'll suffer all that she wants. What I want is to go to heaven. After he became ill, he always appeared joyful and content. If Lucy asked him, are you suffering a lot, Francisco? He would say, quite a lot, but never mind. I'm suffering to console our Lord, and afterwards, within a short time, I'm going to heaven. Eucharistic Adoration Our Lady taught the children this beautiful prayer. O Most Holy Trinity, I adore thee. My God, my God, I love thee in the most blessed sacrament. We can console the Sacred Heart of Jesus by Eucharistic adoration, adoring him in the sacrament of his love, and by saying over and over again, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, I adore thee in the most blessed sacrament. The real presence of Christ in the blessed sacrament, the sacred host, the Fatima children affectionately called the hidden Jesus. Francisco longed to receive the hidden Jesus, but he had not yet reached the age for First Holy Communion. He had to content himself with visits to the Blessed Sacrament. While Lucy attended school, Francisco would wait in the parish church adoring the hidden Jesus. After he became ill, Lucy would visit him on the way to school and he would beg her, go to the church and give my love to the hidden Jesus. What hurts me the most is that I can't go there myself and stay a while with him. 
If Lucy visited him on her way home from Mass, he would say, come close to me. You have the hidden Jesus in you. Finally, on the day before he took his flight to heaven, as Lucy described it, Francisco had the great joy of receiving the hidden Jesus into his heart. We can imitate Francisco by making holy hours before the Blessed Sacrament. Some parishes have instituted perpetual adoration, which greatly consoles the heart of Jesus. Other parishes observe an all-night vigil between First Friday and First Saturday, which unites devotion to the hearts of Jesus and Mary. Consecrations to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary are among the many prayers usually recited during such vigils. Singing. Did you ever hear the saying, He who sings once prays twice? We can console our Lord by praying to him in song. Francisco loved music. Sister Lucy wrote that his favorite pastime was to perch on top of the highest rock and sing or play his flute. Even when Lucy and Jacinta started to dance or play games, he often chose to continue his music. The children loved to sing this verse in honor of the angels. Holy angels, sing with me. Holy angels, sing with me. I cannot give thanks enough. Holy angels, do it for me. As Francisco became more and more immersed in prayer and contemplation, he no longer wanted to sing the familiar folk songs they had previously enjoyed, but only those that honored God, our Lord, or Our Lady. Here is the chorus of his favorite song. I love God in heaven. I love him too on earth. I love the flowers of the fields. I love the sheep on the mountains. We too can console the heart of Jesus by singing to him. Those of of us who are old enough might remember the songs to Jesus' heart all burning and O sacred heart of Jesus, I place my trust in thee. I looked all through my old hymnals and was surprised to find so many hymns to the Sacred Heart that we had never learned. Apparently, even back in the 1950s, when I began singing in choirs, devotional hymns were already being set aside as too sentimental. After Vatican II, they disappeared almost entirely. I remember one lovely hymn we used to sing in simple counterpoint. May grateful hearts adore and praise thee evermore, O sacred heart of Jesus, forever more and more. The litany of the sacred heart can be sung in Gregorian chant or set to a psalm tone or to a melody of our choice. Watching YouTube segments of the faithful people of Paris singing in vigil outside Notre Dame Cathedral during the fire, I was particularly moved by a long rendition of the Litany of Loreto, sung to a beautiful, haunting melody. It occurred to me that one could easily adapt the Litany of the Sacred Heart to such a melody and sing it with profound devotion. Imitation. It has been said that imitation is the highest form of praise. We can honor the sacred heart of Jesus by imitating him, as expressed in the well-known ejaculation, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. The beautiful book, The Imitation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, by Reverend Peter J. Arnoux, S.J., shows us step-by-step 
how to imitate the heart of Jesus in mercy, love, compassion, sacrifice, and all virtues. It details how Christ showed his love in all the situations he experienced and can be a lifelong guide in applying his example to our own lives. Francisco imitated the sacred heart of Jesus by offering his young life as a sacrifice. Just as Christ, for the sake of the glory that awaited him, endured the cross, Francisco patiently and joyfully endured the sufferings of his last illness, knowing that soon he would be in heaven, gazing at our Lord and consoling him for all eternity. Dear St. Francisco, pray for us that we too may do our best to console our Lord and may someday reach heaven where we can join you in adoring for all eternity the sacred heart of Jesus. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. Brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website, www.fatima.org. Immaculate Heart of Mary, or Pro Nobis.